You're listening to Writers on Writing, a show about the art, craft, and business of writing. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett. Today I'm speaking with Ashley Audrain. Her debut novel, The Push, was an instant New York Times bestseller. She has served as the publicity director of Penguin Books Canada, and prior to that worked in public relations. She lives in Toronto, where she and her partner are raising their two young children. The Whispers, the focus of our talk today, is her second novel and a number one international bestseller. On the show, we talked about writing interiority, the importance of the ticking clock, writing unlikable characters, writing chronologically, naming characters, and why she writes short chapters. Before we bring her on, a few words about Patreon. Please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash writers on writing and becoming a supporter. Since 1998, when Writers on Writing began broadcasting at KUCI-FM, on the UC Irvine campus, and also started podcasting in 2005 when podcasts became a thing. We've never taken a break from this volunteer effort. Marie and I host and produce our shows, and Travis Barrett does the music and sound editing. Even a few dollars a month will help us to continue bringing the show to you. We also have an affiliate bookshop on bookshop.org. Find it at bookshop.org shop slash writers on writing we list books uh, by authors who've been on the show it's a great way to support indie bookstores and the show and now for my talk with ashley audrain so ashley i'm so glad to talk to you about the whispers i don't remember how i came across it maybe on net galley but um i started reading it and as others have said, I kind of could not put it down. And um, I would love to hear how the story came about, how the idea for the novel came about. Well, thank you. Thanks for that. And thanks for having me. Um, yeah, the, the idea for the story, you know, it it sort of came from sort of a few different places all at once, you know, which I think sometimes these story ideas tend to. Um, there were sort of three or four things that I was thinking a lot about when I was developing the idea of this book. And I think one of those was, um, you know, certainly the street that I lived on at the time. Um, so in the whispers, um, you know, we, we have four sort of neighboring women on Harlow street, um, who don't realize, you know, quite the ways their lives are connected and until there's a tragedy that happens on the street. Um, and at the time I was living on, um, a street here in Toronto and from Toronto and a street in little Portugal. And I really wanted to write about just the feeling or the dynamic of the street. Now I, I very much live in the city. It sort of felt like, you know, very much an urban street. I think in the book, it might feel a little more suburban, you know, for, for reasons that, um, that we can get into, but I um, loved just that dynamic of, you know, there were some older Portuguese families that lived on the, sh- the street who had lived there, you know, for, like 60 or 70 years in some cases, still in the same kind of untouched home that they, you know, originally bought. 
Um, and I, I, and, and around them were these new families like mine, you know, moving in, having children, you know, doing renovations, these sort of big, noisy, chaotic families kind of taking over the street. Um, and that dynamic just always really fascinated me kind of as, a, you know, as, as somebody who is just in the thick of it. And we, we had these neighbors um, who were an older Portuguese couple. They must have been, you know, definitely into their 90s. Um, and they maintained that really beautiful porch culture, you know, of like spending all day on the porch, kind of watching the neighborhood go by, watching the street go by. Um, and I really loved that. They were such observers, you know, they were like, I, I would often think about how much of our lives that they had witnessed just through that as neighbors, you know, bringing our kids home from the hospital for the first time and sort of the comings and goings of school and friends. And I'm sure they heard quite a bit you know, being next door in this house. Um, and I would think about that a lot. And I would sort of watch this woman watching me and think like, wow, I, I wonder what she thinks of me, you know, and this family and modern motherhood. And um, you know, the way things are now, because of course she raised, you know, she had raised four children, you know, in that house right next door at a very different time under very different circumstances. Um, and, you know, we lived in that house for eight years and I never once had a conversation with her because she didn't speak English and I didn't speak Portuguese. Um, and, but there, but of course there's so much communicating, you know, that, that goes on between neighbors otherwise. But, um, so I, I wondered a lot about her life, you know, and her children and, and that very much became sort of, you know, a big theme in this book, we have a character, Mara, who's sort of based very, very loosely on her, you know, she's the, a woman in her 80s, a Portuguese immigrant who sort of lives amongst these, th you know, three other younger women sort of watching them all. She's a bit of a voyeur. And of course, she sort of meddles as we see in the plot as well. So that I, I think that was quite sort of inspiring to me at the time. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I, I, I always start more with, you know, character and, and sort of thinking of characters and what I want these characters to be feeling and doing and thinking. Um, but of course, in every novel, there is that inciting incident, you know, something has to happen as well in a book. Um, and, and, and there was this, this one idea I could not let go of, and this won't be giving anything away in the book because it happens quite early, but I'd mentioned this tragedy that happens on, on the street. And um, you know, we, we lived in this old Victorian, you know, on that street and the ceilings were quite high, but the window on um, that second floor of our house was quite low, like it was quite a tall, long window. And this, this, um, that was my son's bedroom and the bedroom looked over the street, not the backyard, like it does in the book. But I, I would think all the time about, you know, when we first moved into that house, there was no screen on the window, there was no lock on the window. And I would think all the time about what would happen if, you know, a child were to fall out of the window or open the window. And I, even though my son was so young, he was an infant and then, you know, a toddler in a crib and like, there was no way he, he could have been unsupervised in the room. And eventually, of course, we did put a lock on the window. But I thought every single day about that situation. And I just had to write about it in some way. It just, I knew it was going to work itself into a story. And so, um, so it very much did as sort of this kicking off point in the book. It's really interesting how it worked itself into the story, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so, that sort of changed that that what what that event was, you know, became so central to the book and sort of changed as I was writing. But it, it did become quite pivotal, yeah. Right. So your characters. So you have, I think, four point of view characters. Mm -hmm. um, all of them are dealing with something, um, a major challenge. I mean, they all have their own major challenges. And I wonder how much you knew about each of them before you began. 
I mean, did you develop each of their stories in your head or on paper? Or I don't know if you're an outliner or plotter or how you how you work it, but um, they you pretty much go into depth with all four of them and their own personal stories. So how did how did that happen? Yeah, you know, I think my first novel, The Push, was told from one woman's perspective, and it was very tightly her perspective. You know, she was speaking to another person directly. So that that um, voice and that sort of point of view of character was quite particular. And I think for the second book, I really sort of wanted to swing the totally different direction, you know, and and really get into the minds of, of like a cast of characters and sort of play with, um, you know, there's you're sort of as a writer I think you're obviously developing each character as fully as you can but then I think when you have multiple sort of central characters you can also start to play with you know really learning about a character you know a main character um, through how another character sees them or perceives them and so there's this sort of extra layer of complexity sort of you know because all of these women are sort of thinking and talking about each other and so but you're also getting their kind of individual chapters so that I guess just sort of um you know gives you this whole other arena to kind of play in you know when 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 writing that way and I really liked that I, I I think I did really have them like you know have the basics of them certainly kind of figured out before I started but but I would say character is really the thing that I worked on the most, you know, through the revisions of this book. Um, and yeah, I, I really love writing each of them at different times for different reasons. You know, I really like I think we all we all love all of our you know, characters so much. But um, yeah, I think I especially I think I think Rebecca probably came to be the most sort of fully formed. Um, you know, she is a um, physician at a children's hospital. She works in the emergency room and. She is a woman who is struggling to have a child of her own, um, trying to start a family, and yet she's surrounded, you know, by these other families um, who are, you know, very much caught up in their own sort of lives and their own children. And so she's an outsider in that way, and yet she is the character in the novel who is sort of providing the most for everybody else, you know, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really feel like I sort of knew her the best start, probably, and the other characters probably took a little more work to kind of get them there. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think in terms of revision, I would sort of like focus on one at a time and sort of like, you know, spend a huge chunk of time like just devoted to, you know, Whitney and, and sort of feel like she was in a good place and then kind of sort of try to reimagine the whole book with with sort of trying to get Blair, you know, in kind of a stronger place. And so I, I think what I learned about doing multiple perspectives and, and all of these characters is, you know, it's, it is hard in a sense that you have to deliver the same um, depth of of character that you would if you just had one like we, we we want the reader to feel like as invested and empathetic you know for these characters but of course you have much fewer pages you know to do that on so it's it's sort of this challenge of you know yeah tr- trying to do it all in a shorter amount of, of space I think um and then again kind of making sure that really nailing how a character is perceived as one whole piece you know versus how they perceive themselves which is often quite different. (laughs) So as you were talking, I was thinking about them and thinking about, um, you know, third person. Mm. And some are in present tense and others in past. Mm -hmm. So that, how did that come about? (laughs) Yeah, I sort of played a lot with sort of tense and I mean, all of that. I think all of the the tenses, but also... um, 
how close we were at times to kind of perspectives. And there, I didn't really start out this way, but it sort of became a bigger part of the book, but there's um, a, a scene that reoccurs. Like there, there's a backyard party, a barbecue that happens in the backyard of Whitney. Um, and it, it's kind of a, you know, a, an end of summer barbecue where the whole neighborhood is invited and it's sort of a chance for this character, you know, Whitney to kind of host something and sort of show off her beautiful home and her backyard and create this kind of perfect setting that she feels like will end up on Instagram that night, you know, it's sort of that kind of a vibe and everyone's there. Um, and that felt to me like, the, and it happens nine months, you know, before the, the the current events that we get. And I really want, I really wanted a way to make that feel a little more alive and a little more present in the story and not just sort of feel like this sort of passive backstory. Um, and so I, I played a lot with sort of tense there and sort of, I wanted us to feel like we were in the middle of that. And I also did the thing that you're not supposed to do, which is sort of jump heads <laughs> um, at that party. So we get the perspective, it's not quite, you know, omniscient, but we sort of, but we get the perspective of each character um, in, in each new paragraph. Um, and so I just, I just, that to me, that was the way to make that party feel alive, like to, to really be in the head of everyone at once and see what they're all seeing and sort of see the ways they're kind of playing off of each other and the posturing yeah. and, and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It worked. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> However you did it and the names. Okay. So there's Blair, Rebecca, Whitney, and Mara. How, how did the names come about? And I, I think I especially noticed Whitney. I mean, oh, interesting. Yeah. Just, you know, brings to mind a certain type. Um, but how did you come up with the names? Yeah, good question. It's funny. I was in London recently, um, like promoting the book and some uh, somebody had said to me, oh, your names all feel very, very American. <laughs> and I'm Canadian, but I guess the same thing. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I love I really love choosing names for my characters, but I don't I don't put much like real like thought into it. I sort of just let a name come to me and then and then kind of, I, and I know right away whether it's like the right name or the wrong name. Um, and I feel very sort of unsettled writing a character if I don't feel like I've got the name nailed. Um, like sometimes it'll happen that I have to, I have like a placeholder name and it just, it just really bothers me. Like if it's such a name is so telling, as, as you say, like a, a Whitney is a Whitney, you know? And I think a Rebecca also is sort of a Rebecca. and. Um, and I, so I, 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 yeah, beyond a feeling, it's really just a feeling like who does this, who does this kind of conjure up for us? Um, but I, I do always love the process of selecting names for my characters. Yeah. What about the title of the book, The Whispers? Yeah. So for the title, I, um, you know, it, 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 I guess the concept of The Whispers sort of is this idea that I think, you know, we talk a lot about women's intuition, you know, this, this, it, that women are very sort of tapped into a feeling or an intuition in their lives. And I think many of us can relate to that. And to me, the whispers is sort of adjacent to that, you know, it's sort of this cousin of intuition. I think it's this, um, I, I think a whisper is a little more urgent, you know, in your life, it's, it's sort of knocking on the door or kind of trying to tell you something, you know, about your life that you, that you probably don't want to hear. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's sort of the defining thing of a whisper. Uh, and I think many of us have had those as well. Um, and the, the, the term, the whisper came from, um, I, I was working on the book and I was away for a weekend in the countryside trying to sort of have like this marathon writing session. Um, and I had gone for a walk in the woods and just threw on, randomly threw on a podcast 
podcast and it happened to be, it was one of the Oprah podcasts, one of Oprah's soul session podcasts. And she was having a conversation with her best friend, Gail King. Um, and they were talking about this um, a time in Gail's life where she had come home from a work trip or something and she, and she walked in the door of her home and she had caught her husband having an affair with one of their friends. And she had sort of said, kind of off, she sort of says offhand to Oprah, oh, it was, you know, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea this was happening. And Oprah sort of stops her and challenges her to say, did you really not know? You know, did you really have no inkling? And Oprah says, because I sort of did. <laughs> and and I and then and then they sort of get into this conversation from there about this idea of the whispers, you know, that that life is kind of always speaking to you. And I, I just loved it phrased that way. Mm -hmm. um, and and so that sort of that concept kind of works its way into the book. We have a character, Blair, who is very much sort of wanting to ignore the whispers in her life. Um, although all, all the characters, you know, have a certain version of this. Um, and so when it came time for the title of the book, that just that that really sort of um, I think really stuck out as sort of this new unifying theme. And then, of course, I, I think the whispers show up in other meanings and other ways throughout the book as well. It's also mysterious, you know, mm. it's, it's title, like, what does that mean? And and so that that also um, made me wonder, like, like if you you were a book publicist um, mm. Penguin, um, before before becoming an author. And so. I was thinking about categorization and how mm. publicists, you know, well, I mean, I think agents, editors, but publicists as well, you know, they have to categorize your book. They have to, you know, you have to fit somewhere so they know where to pitch you. And I was trying to categorize the whispers and I was having a really hard time. It's like, it's literary, but it's a thriller. It's suspense, but it's upmarket. It's all of these things, um, how would you categorize it? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and yeah, I, since I have that sort of background on the marketing side of the books, I, I worked in publicity for a couple of years, as you mentioned. Um, I know how important it is for, you know, sales teams and marketers and publishers to kind of categorize. And, you know, with, with the push, um, my first book, I, I didn't, I was not setting out to write anything that was a thriller. Like, like when everyone started calling it a thriller, it sort of surprised me because it, it didn't, it wasn't sort of intended that way. It wasn't like, I, I wasn't someone who read a lot of thrillers it, it, that sort of felt um, different to me. Although of course, you know, ha happy to have it, you know, in the, in that category, but um, and, and the whispers sort of does feel the same to me too. I sort of agree. I, I don't know. I think um, I'm never trying to write to fit a genre or a category. Um, I'm sort of just writing the book I want to write and we'll sort of see where, where it falls. But I think, yeah, I, I think people sort of place it in this thriller-ish category, you know, because, because hopefully it is, um, you know, suspenseful in an emotional way. Um, and I think, so when I think about what I'm writing, I, I, I want to write about, you know, family and drama and women's lives, but I, I do want there to be tension. Like tension is very important to me as a writer. And so I think if you're focused on tension, um, you know, showing up in your writing and that, that sort of, you know, page turning quality as kind of a marketer, you know, would say, um, I, I think you sort of do land kind of there or adjacent kind of in this thriller category. And I, it's interesting, like now I think we blend there's a lot more blending of categories now than, than there probably used to be. Um, but I, and even when I think about the books I love to read, like, you know, a lot of them would fall in that kind of blended category too. And maybe you're not reading, 
you know, in a thriller sense to find out what happened, but you're, but you're reading to find out why, you know, why it happened and, and yeah. what those motivations were emotionally. Yeah. What are those books? What do you like to read? Oh, what do I like to read? I, I love to read, I love to read books about, um, about women's lives. Like I, I, I which won't surprise anybody, but I, I love to read you know, writers who are going deep on kind of the emotional lives of women or the interior lives of women and sort of interesting in different ways. Um, I really like, who are my favorite writers? Celeste Ng. I, I really love Celeste Ng. I think she was very sort of inspiring or motivating to me when I was writing my debut. Um, you know, Little Fires Everywhere, certainly, but also Everything I Never Told You, her debut. Um, it, it, I think actually is that perfect example of you, it, it is tense and you are reading to find out like you, you cannot stop turning the pages, but you are trying to get to the emotional truth. You know, that is why you are turning the page. It is less about, you know, what happened. Um, and, and so I, that, that's the kind of book I just love. Yeah. And also the writing because Celestine, you know, she, I think of her as a literary writer too. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think of you as a literary writer with the thriller thrown in where the language is important the sentences are important and the story is important I mean that's that's always my favorite I think thank you honor to read whatever that fits into but I was curious about um, a recent reviewer said and I the question is really about theme um, mm. she said um, that you know, is there more than one way to be a mother is it about self-sacrifice can a mother hate the job of being a mother? and yet be responsible. And so I wonder what you had in mind. Like, do you think about theme when you're writing, uh, before you write, during the writing, during the revision? When does theme come up or do you leave it up to the reader? Hmm, it's a good question. You know, I think sort of both in a, in a sense that um, I, I think at the beginning, I know the questions I want to explore. Like I, to me, it's more about curiosities than themes, you know, and, and the themes kind of come, but um, I think I've always just been really curious about motherhood, you know, long before I became a mother myself and now I have two kids, but um, I, I think I'm sort of endlessly curious, you know, about, about, about why women do it and the experiences women have, um, the darker side of it. I think it, like a big curiosity for me is, um, like the fear in motherhood, you know, I think that there's, there's so much love and motherhood, of course, but I, but I, but like in my own experience and my observations of other mothers around me, like there's almost as much fear as there is love, you know, in a lot of ways. And that fear is not always on the surface, but it's there, you know, it is there bubbling somewhere. And I just think what a fascinating contradiction of an experience, you know, to have as a, being a mother is such a fascinating contradiction of many experiences, but um, yeah, so I think it's it's a lot of it is like curiosity. And I think in, in this book, in The Whispers, I was also really curious about like the evolution of how motherhood and relationships feel, you know, when you are middle age, when you are 40-ish um, and sort of how that feels. So I think those were kind of the curiosities that sort of led to the themes. But I, I think you're really, I think you're right that the what, what I've really experienced that surprised me with the push when the push came out and 
you know, I, I sort of felt like I sort of could predict a lot of how it would feel because I had worked in publishing, you know, but it, of course, that's not true. <laughs> it's totally different when you when you are the writer, um, as I found out. But but one thing that really surprised me in like a really lovely way is that you is that I don't really think you totally can understand what the book is until readers sort of tell you what it is, you know, and I, and I could never have seen that coming and I, I wasn't prepared for that. Um, but once you start getting you know, like responses from readers and seeing how it affects readers and hearing, you know, what they say in response to your work, it sort of does take on a bit of a different shape or sort of have weight in areas that maybe you didn't think it had weight. Um, so that that's really interesting to me in publishing books like that. That's been a surprise for sure. And and it does kind of come out in sort of theme and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like when there's conversations, especially with students or friends who are working on a book and and the question is well what's your book about and it's like mm. well I don't know exactly I mean I know what I'm trying to do but you know that question of what something is about often comes almost prematurely like shouldn't yeah I mean maybe at some point you need to figure out what it's about but do you need to figure out what it's about during the first draft maybe not I don't know what do you think Oh, I tell, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I, I don't, I mean, a book changes so much, right? I was actually just chatting with a friend, um, a writer here in Canada, Harriet Alita Lai. She's, she's a beautiful writer, but she and I chat about writing a lot. And she was saying that she's at the point in her draft now, a first draft, where you, towards the end, I think you sort of untether yourself from the idea of what you thought the book was you know, as you're writing. And I think until, like, we all start with this idea of what the book will be. Um, and I think probably, probably very rarely does it end up being that thing, you know, it, but, it, and it sort of, the book grows and evolves, of course, as you work and work on it. But I do think there's truth to sort of what she had said, like, as, as soon as you sort of unhook yourself from that and let yourself have a bit of freedom with it, um, you, you, you can't really know, you know, what it's about because it always, it always sort of surprised. I think there's so much surprise in the writing of a book. And I think that's what I love so much about it, you know, is that you don't quite know. Yeah. Um, right. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so did you write this chronologically? Um, because, you know, as you mentioned, and as I noticed, the time frame kind of moves, it goes forward mm -hmm. a little, you go into flashbacks as separate chapters, you pull out chapters. I mean, how, how did you write it from start to finish? Or did you write sections of characters? What what happened? Yeah, it was, it was. Um, I mean, I didn't have a plan, like a, a solid plan kind of going into this book. And I, I think the first early drafts were pretty messy. Um, but I did try, I think the, the present day, like the, the course of three days, over the course of three days, when we see what sort of happens to this young boy and the family is unraveling and the secrets coming out and sort of the happenings on the street, that I did write um, in chronological order. Um, and then the layered in sort of piece of this backyard barbecue did come a little later um, in, in the form that it is in the book right now. It was sort of always a part of the story, but never like written sort of the way that it is now. Um, and then I, yeah, I did, I feel like I took some liberties with like some other flashbacks here and there that I wanted to present in sort of a little more of a creative way because they were, these snapshots of these women's lives at some point that were just so relevant, you know, to the present day. 
um, but they weren't necessarily their own sort of long thread of backstory. Um, so I just, yeah, I just tried to play with it until it sort of felt like it was working. Um, and there was a lot with, in terms of timeline, there's a lot of reveals sort of in this book that sort of have to happen perfectly in sync with other things, like other, other parts of the timeline. And that just took a lot of, um, it just a lot of revising until it felt like, okay, the, the, the tension, I can maintain, you know, the right level of tension and give the reader, it's always this balance, like how much do you give the reader when, what do you hold back? Are you holding back too much? And yeah, and I, with my editors, I, I did work a lot on sort of trying to find the right balance there. Um, yeah, just, just, just a lot of revising. <laughs> How do you keep track? How do you keep track? Do you have spreadsheets or papers on the wall or notebooks? How do you keep track of everything? Do you know, my, my fantasy as a writer is to one day have one of those beautiful walls or a beautiful cork board with like the color coded post-it notes. I would, I would love to get there one day. I would, that is my goal. But I, I, I'm a pretty messy writer, I will say. Like I, I, I don't, I, I keep it all in one Word document, which sounds a bit nuts, but it's just, I don't know. I, I like it all to be in one very old school Word document on my computer. And, I, and, I, and then sometimes I will get out, um, you know, just paper and pen and sort of just tr like sketch, like just try to sketch kind of what parts are going where and how to move things around. Um, but there's really no method to the madness for me. I, I wish there was. I would love to. I would love to start finding um, <laughs> finding what that is. But I, I don't know. I with with this book at one point because I was playing with timelines so much. I did print it all out and um, like ban my children from coming in the room for like a few days and got like a pair of scissors and just like played cut and paste for a while to try to figure out how to shift things around. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's it's kind of all. A bit of a mess. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever tried Scrivener or Plotter or any of those? I have. Yeah, I tried Scrivener for a while. Um, I actually, um, the I think it was the push that I tried Scrivener, and I, I I can totally appreciate it for what it is, and I totally understand how it works for some writers. It's almost too organized for me. I, I almost feel like um, there's a bit of magic in the mess, maybe, and so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. I <clears throat> I think I had a free trial. I'm like. I don't know what to do with this. I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. one word and have it all be in one document. Try to, yeah. yeah, you know, the whispers takes place over a week. And why did you choose a week? I don't, I, you know, I think, honestly, I think the answer is like tension. I think the answer is tension. I think that if I, at one point at the beginning, I think I had it spread over more time. Um, but it, yeah, but I think, I think in the end, I felt like I, it, there needed to be this feeling of immediacy. And I, and I think part of that is because there were so, there was so many, it, like when we're, when you're playing with this idea of like secrets and who knows what, and who's going to say what, when, um, I think the timeline just, it, it served so much better to sort of be, to be shorter and, and be a little more like heart pounding if you feel like it's all happening now. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was sort of part of it. And then the other part of it too is, um, there was a, you know, there's a, a big storyline, like a medical storyline in this book. Um, and that with that comes some sort of like, it had to make sense medically that, um, without giving too much away, like the, the son is in a certain state 
at the hospital and things sort of had to happen pretty quickly with him. It, it wouldn't, what happens to him in the hospital, like wouldn't really have happened over the course of a longer period of time and had the same outcome. It sort of had to be like a, you know, a few days. Um, and so there, that was sort of a, a bit constricting too. I, I think, although, you know, I certainly did have to take some liberties with the medical side of things, as I think um, probably a lot of writers do. There's, you know, I tried to get everything as accurate as possible. And I did a lot of research for this book on that end. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted that to make sense um, medically. Yeah. So, so we did have a bit of a time yeah. constriction. Yeah. No, the time lock works, I think. And I mean, it, it really works in this book. Um, and gosh, I want to talk about the ending and I don't want to give anything away, but wow. I mean, this ending, the pieces came together in such a surprising, satisfying way. And we find out what happened almost at the very end, what happened that night, the, that critical night. Um, and then the very last page, very last bit, you know, you're going, oh my gosh, now what? <laughs> Now what's going to have it. So talk about the ending, if you can, in terms of like, when did you have it? Did you know how you wanted to end the book when you started writing? Or at some point, did you, did you go, okay, this is what has to happen. And you work toward, I mean, how, talk about that process, because endings are just so incredibly difficult, I think, because, you know, I mean, as a reader, you want to be satisfied enough so that you want to read the the writer's next book or the last book I mean this made me want to go read the push because I haven't read the push I'm like oh I gotta see where everything began or at least where the writer you began um so talk about the ending coming up with endings and was it always the ending and all that well thank you um yeah, I, the endings are important to me. I feel like, um, you know, as a writer and as a reader, I think like endings have always been important. And I think that that, I guess that lives with this idea that like, I, I want a reader to end the book and like really be feeling something, you know, like really feel like when you turn that last page, I want a reader to just feel oh, like I, I want to, to give that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think actually with both books, um, you know, it's funny, I, I don't think I'd have felt as much pressure with the ending of The Whispers if people hadn't talked about the ending of The Push so much. <laughs> you know, it sort of makes you feel like, okay, you've got to try to deliver something again. But um, but with both endings, my editors really pushed me on the endings and I'm so glad they did. Um, I feel like in both cases, um, I was, you know, trying, like trying, trying a lot of different endings. I think with The Whispers, I had like maybe maybe four different endings until I got to that one. Um, just trying different things and sort of seeing what my editors thought, but but also sort of knowing that like it wasn't quite there. You know, I think if you have to ask if it's the right ending, it's probably not the right ending. Um, so, so sort of working through it that way. And I wanted, I, I think actually with both books too, the thing that was on my mind is like this idea of resolution, I think for a character, you know, it's like how much resolution are you going to give like the character, the reader, how much redemption maybe are you going to give? Like, I, I think in both books, I was writing characters, um, you know, especially with, 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 with Blythe in The Push and also with Whitney in The Whispers, um, you know, it's a whole nother topic of conversation, this idea of like a likable character or, a, or an unlikable character, but, but, you know, 
I, I think Whitney is this sort of, you know, unlikable, people would classify her that way. I don't, I don't see her that way, but I think people would, would classify her that way. And so it's like, how much do you want to tie up for her? How much like validation do you want to give that feeling in a reader? It, all, all of these are kind of, I guess, questions and like deciding how you want to end, end a book or what you want to do with the character at the end. Um, yeah, so I, I sort of went back and forth. I didn't, I, I think I was undecided about what I, how I wanted people to feel about Whitney at the end. And I probably was being in earlier versions of the ending more protective of her, I will say. Um, and then eventually kind of, you know, yeah, eventually sort of, yeah, came to this ending and this ending felt very right. And I, I won't say anymore because you don't want to give it away, of course, but um, yeah. No, she, um, I, I wanted to ask you actually about um, complex, perhaps mm -hmm. characters, although, you know, this comes up over and over again. Do we say that about male writers and mm -hmm. their, you know, it's with, you know, women with authors, we go, oh, characters may be unlikable. So what are you looking for? Are you looking, I mean, I think characters, you know, they can be unlikable, but you just want to relate to them in some mm -hmm. way. You need to be relatable, maybe. I don't know. How do you think, how do you think about it? Yeah, you know, it's, I, I really don't, um, I don't see characters that way. Like I, 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 and I mean, I guess if we're thinking about sort of, you know, the, the stereotypical character, female character that we would call unlikable, like that's really the only kind of character I want to write. <laughs> you know, that's the only kind of character I'm interested in. Um, because I think what we're really saying when we're saying someone's unlikable is that um, they're complex and they're very real, you know, like I, somebody once said to me in this, in that we were talking about this topic and, and they said, you know, every, we would all, if, if we could be inside the heads, you know, the real honest thoughts of each and every one of us, well, we would all be quote unquote, unlikable characters, you know, that, it, that is just real. That is just the truth of being a human. And so I don't really have a lot of interest in, you know, writing a character that feels like this, you know, super likable person I don't know there, there's to me there's not a lot of like maybe not a lot of truth telling there I don't know so I I just like to go for it with a character you know and really explore the uglier thoughts or the darker side um and I and I actually hope that's relatable at the end of the day you know I hope that's actually a relatable character and I think like I don't have I carry a lot of judgment for my characters you know I think that's a big thing I think as a writer like you really can't judge your character for anything. Like you, you know, you are putting them, you, maybe they are making decisions that you wouldn't make, but it's all about maybe empathy, you know, just having like, just really trying to tap into like, um, like being very like radically empathetic, you know, for, for your characters, kind of what they're doing and the decisions they're making and the feelings that they're having. Um, yeah, I think that's how I try to kind of approach character. I think with your ending, I had a different sort of empathy for Whitney. The mm. very mm. poor thing, <laughs> you know, it's just like, it sort of shifted how I how I felt about her at the very end. Oh, um, I love that. Interesting that, and then I read it again. I read the last quarter again, just to go, what, how did that happen? How did, how did you do that? Um, oh, thank you. You also um, do short chapters a lot, which I very much appreciate. I don't know. I like to know that I'm going to be able to read a chapter in one sitting. I'm not going to have to put a bookmark in the middle of a chapter. What What is your relationship with short chapters? Obviously, you like them. Um, I, I do. And I, I feel exactly the same way that you do. That as, as a reader, I love short chapters. And I think... Um, 
I, I think that's part of, I guess, like going back to tension, you know, this idea of tension in a book and um, not to say that you can't have tension in long chapters, like you certainly can, but there's something about if I, if I sort of force myself to, to write shorter chapters, I have to sort of focus on tension, you know, on like making that feel tense, leaving at a tense spot, sort of thinking about the breaking up of chapters through that lens of like pace. Um, I, I think it just gives the overall quality of a book sometimes that, that, that pacier feeling. Um, and also in a way, like, I think for me, it sort of forces me to be a little more, um, I don't know, brief, like there's a sort of, you sort of write in a, a more of a brief way, you know, you don't like, if you don't, if you don't allow yourself um, to really go on and on, this is maybe just very personal, but if I don't allow myself to like go on and on and on for pages and pages and pages, um, I, I think I can just get my writing tighter and better if I think about it sort of in those, in that way, in those shorter chapters. Um, and yeah, I like that feeling too of, you know, my favorite, I think as a reader, my favorite feeling of reading a book, you know, I read a lot at night, especially, but is that thing we do where we tell ourselves, oh, just one more chapter. Oh, just one more chapter. And I think that there's something very delicious about that experience if the chapters are short. <laughs> you know, you really can do just one more chapter. Um, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So multiple point of view novel, the push was one point of view. What, what do you prefer? What do you, are you going to do? What are you going to do next? Or what are you doing next? Yeah, I'm I'm working on something now. It's just early, and I feel like I'm not talking. Going back to our conversation about not being sure how to talk about a book yet, I'm not sure how to talk about it yet. But, um, but yeah, I think I think I like the idea of kind of like a different challenge next. And so, um, probably probably I, I I'm not going to do the same multiple perspectives for the next one. Although I think I would maybe try that again one day, but but maybe not maybe not so soon. <laughs> I probably need a break from that. Yeah. So when you're working on, like when you were working on the whispers or the push, are you um, allowing ideas for future projects to come in and then jotting them down somewhere? Or do you go, you know, I'm not going to write anything down. If it's still with me when I'm done with this book, then maybe it's viable. Yeah, I really have been, I'm a big, um, I always have an idea. I feel like I, there's always the next idea kind of in my head sort of growing in some way. Um, and actually the book I'm working on now, I've had this idea for a really long time and have collected notes. Um, I mean, for years, probably on, on this site and, and for all of them in a way, like, I, I feel like, um, once I get thinking or get caught on an idea for a book, it's sort of all, even if I'm working on something else, like revise, you know, revising or editing, it's, it's always there, you know, it's always sort of in the back of your mind when you're subconscious or whatever. And so things are always popping up and I'm a very big note taker on my iPhone. So I, you know, that the yellow sticky note app on iPhone that I'm sure many of us use. Um, but I probably open that, I don't know, like 30 times a day or something, just taking notes um, as things come to me. And I collect them all there in sort of some like semi, not really organized, but like, you know, I'll have like, like per, per book, like whatever idea I'm working on or whatever the idea is. Um, and I just do that constantly. And then when it's time to write, um, I go back and like reassess all of those notes and sort of like live with them, print them out, read them, kind of um, bucket them, sort of try to get like loosely organized with them. And I just feel like I want, one reason I do that is because I have a horrific memory and I can't, I, I really don't retain information very well. And, and I will, I will let things go. Like it will be here one minute and gone the next. And so if I just 
when I write everything down, I feel like very assured and confident that like all the ideas are going to be there and I'll be able to use them. And I do, I do. I, that is like my well, that is the well that I go to when I'm writing. So those are very crucial, I think, for my process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love, I love, I think part of what I love so much about being a writer is, is that idea collection, you know, is that you can go about the world, you know, day to day or whatever you're doing. And like, anything can become a part of your writing like anything can turn into a wonderful scene or a great idea on a page or a line of dialogue and I think that like I'm sure not every writer writes that way but like but I but I very much like to collect from the world around me and sort of repurpose and let things grow and yeah I don't know there's something like uh, kind of like just really wonderful and really magical about (laughs) maybe that sounds very sort of fluffy but you know there's something really lovely about kind of going through your day thinking about an idea you know yeah I agree I agree um I'm curious with the push because I'm so curious about it now I need to read it um uh, how I mean that was your debut how did doing that book and having that be such a success inform the whispers or the process of writing the whispers? Hmm. Well, I was lucky in a sense that um, I had a long stretch of time between um, selling the the book, like selling the push. And I, it was a two book deal that my agent sold. And so I think there was 18 months between the time that that book deal happened and the time the push came out. Mm-hmm. And of course, a huge portion of that time was revising the push with my editors. But there was also time to like get a start on what the whispers would be and and like really just do a lot of thinking and note taking and all of that on on what the whispers was. Um, and I guess, yeah, the, so so I really kind of had a a good start on it, you know, before before I was so lucky with that success with the push. Um, but I think honestly, I think the hardest part of kind of one um like the first one to the second one was that the second one I was trying the push came out uh, during the thick of the pandemic it came out in January 2021 um and that was also the time of course that I was trying to work on revising you know the whispers and I did a lot of like heavy heavy rewriting of that book um and I think more than anything it was the pandemic you know that that was the challenge and less the success of the push it was just a really hard time you know I did not find that period this wonderful like creative time like some writers did I found it horribly stressful and I've had two very small kids at home who were and the schools here in Toronto were closed for a long long time um and it was just like finding time and space to both sort of promote the push but then also work on the whispers was it felt impossible like it, it felt very very hard um so yeah, there was just a lot happening at that time. Yeah, but I think, you know, there's always expectations and you sort of feel like you want readers who love the push to love the whispers. And, you know, you also want new readers and you sort of, I, I don't know, it's sort of this, you know, yeah, it, it is, it does put pressure on the situation. And I think everyone, you know, struggles with the second book no matter what. So we're probably all in good company, of course, but yeah, yeah. Reviews. I really, so I, I, I read reviews that my publisher sends me, <laughs> which is a good way of filtering out the bad ones. So I, I really don't like, I'm, I'm, I read that I, you know, I'll read what they send me through, which is always, we're always, are always positive ones. Um, but otherwise I really don't read, you know, focus on that. I don't, I don't like go on Goodreads and read reviews or anything like that. I just don't, um, it's not something that I feel like is productive, you know, for me as a writer, but I also, I'm also okay with, 
you know, negative feedback on the book. Like I really am. I don't feel that affected by it. I feel like, um, you know, I feel like it's okay. I, I feel like it is, it, it's just, it's another piece of art and it's subjective and there's going to be people that love it and people that hate it. And that's just a part of it. And it, it's, I, I never like personally offended if, if, you know, there's a negative take on the, on the book. Um, yeah, it's okay. And I think that, you know, probably the kinds of books that I want to write are probably books that will be polarizing and that's okay. It's just, you know, the nature of the beast. Yeah. Well, you know, as, as we talked about earlier, I mean, you want, you want, um, I don't know, complex characters to bring things up in the reader, right? It's like, and if if we all like or love the same book, there'd be like one book, right? There'd be like yeah. a shelf and not like thousands to choose from. I think that's right. And I think that like, you know, sometimes um, people will say, although, you know, tag me on, in a review on Instagram or something that says, which are, you know, sort of hard to avoid. I, I, do, I do read the stuff on Instagram because I want to say thank you to people for, you know, spending the time to do that. But, um, but you know, sometimes people will say that like the reason they didn't like the book was that it was too dark or, um, you know, they didn't like the characters. And like, to me that that's okay. Like that's, that's what I'm trying to do. If you felt that way, then that's accomplished. And it's okay if that means you don't like, don't, don't like the book, you know? Yeah. What about mm -hmm. interiority? We are coming down on the end of our time, but I really wanted to talk to you about that because, mm -hmm. you know, as um, complex as your characters are, and sometimes, you know, as we talked about Whitney, especially being unlikable at times, there's such depth and with all of them. And how do you do that? I mean, is that, does that come natural? Is that a natural talent or do you spend just so much time getting to know these people and writing their thoughts? Do you keep a journal for them? Do you interview them? I mean, how do you get it kind of the depth of, of uh, who they are? Yeah, I think, I think it's a little bit of, I, I, I think that's just what, I think, you know, going deep on a character is just like interesting to me. I just, that, that, that's fun writing to me, you know, that's just, I, I don't know. I think that's kind of just what I want to do is, is just think. It's a lot of thinking. It's a lot of thinking, um, letting characters sit with you. I, I don't do anything in particular. I don't do any sort of like, you know, interviewing or, or journaling or anything like that about them. They just sort of live in my mind um but I do think time helps with that like I I really value I mean I have wonderful peers who can write a book a year you know and they're wonderful brilliant books and they're you know and, and I I admire that so much about their work process and I I just know that I can't do that because I think for me, I need to sit with these characters for longer than that and I I can't get there without time and some people can and I, I just can't um, I, I think I just need them to be living with me for a little bit, like a couple years kind of thing or longer, um, because they change over that time and you sort of have conversations about them over that time and sort of just, they grow over that time. And I think also like, you know, um, I, I, I do edit a lot, like revise a lot. And it is a lot of revision work um for my poor editors <laughs> um but I think the editors sort of questioning and pushing and like really challenging me to go deeper on a character like you know okay if you want this character to make this decision like we really need to understand why um so it's so collaborative like it's really really collaborative with my editors um so I'm really grateful for that but yeah I think it's just always thinking about being consumed like being sort of consumed with them um 
in no real structured way. But yeah, I, I do think time is a huge part of it. Yeah. Do you have readers before before your books go to your editors? I do. I have two two great readers. So one is my partner who is a, is I would say like my most helpful reader for character. Um, he is not a writer and he's not like a creative type, but I do think he has a really like keen understanding of people. Like he he really does like more than more than the average person I think and I and that has been really helpful to me to have him really analyze characters with me and and he can do that pretty early on like like he could do that sort of after like one draft kind of thing to show it to him and sort of and and it's so great to have that person to talk through character with and like have conversations about um so he's really helpful with that and then actually he doesn't really read much later on it's sort of that one early take at things that, that I find most helpful and then my other wonderful reader is, um, I have a writing partner, her name's um, Ashley Tate. And she, we've been writing partners for probably like, I wanna say like 10 years or something now. Um, and she actually has her debut coming out in January. Um, it's called 27 Minutes. Really, it's just wonderful, it's brilliant. Um, but she is a really great reader too because she, she takes, she'll, she'll read like quite early drafts and I read her early drafts and we sort of just exchange notes back and forth. Um, and she always has just really great insight on things like plot and tension. Um, she writes her literary thrillers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also I, what I love doing with her too is sort of um, like if I have an idea and I'm not sure, just sort of like even just through text, we'll sort of text back and forth and kind of bounce ideas off each other um, in terms of like what we should try or things we're stuck on. Um, so that that's really helpful too. And I yeah, she's been very, very generous with her time <laughs> over the years with me. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Ashley Tate. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. As we uh, get to the end of our time, do you have any advice or tips for the writers listening? Yeah, you know, there's, I think like two things that I like to to mention for advice. I mean, one sounds a little dark and it is, but I, I don't mean it to be insensitive or dark, but it's the idea, and this is, I always try to keep in mind, I think, especially with books sort of themes and topics that I'm writing about. Um, I once heard this advice, you may have heard, um, write like your parents are dead (laughs) you know which is sort of this idea of like dance like no one's watching you know and I and I feel like it is very difficult um to sort of get yourself into the zone where you are not worried about what people are going to think of your writing um and I've really had to do that I've really had I I, you know I really try to write like my parents are not going (laughs) to read the book or that no you know no one else is it yet really trying to get into this space where you're just totally uninhibited and you just feel like what you really want to say is what's actually on the page. Um, so I, I, it's just this thing that I just try to keep in the back of my mind as I write. And I think that's how we get our best writing. You know, I think we really get the best, the best writing that way. Um, and then the other advice I, you know, I often like get a lot of questions, like um, messages on Instagram and emails about um, from, from mothers, you know, who are trying to write, especially like young mothers trying to write. Um, because I, I wrote the push um, when I started writing the push when my son was six months old, my first child was six months old. And um, I think a lot of women at that point, like are really struggling with time, like struggling with time and energy. And like, how do you have a young family and also write a book or try to pursue something creative? And, you know, I think there's very sort of old school writing advice that like you have to sit down and write every day, you know, and even if it's like a hundred words or a thousand words or whatever, you have to like bum in the seat. 
you know, keyboard or like laptop open. And I, and certainly that is the best way to write a book, but it's just not realistic. You know, if you are a young mom with kids and you're trying to do it all and trying to manage something creative, I don't, I don't think you should put the pressure on yourself to write every day. But, but what I think you should do is think about the book every day, you know? And I think that um, keeping so much of writing is like we've been talking about, you know, creative energy. It's just creative energy. It's thought and circling around an idea and observing and like collecting and all of that. And I think that is something that you can do, you know, with a, with a young family or with a, you know, baby in tow. And I did that a lot. Um, when I was writing the push, like sometimes I could only write once or twice a week. Um, and that was it, you know, for like a handful of hours. Um, but I was thinking about it every day and I was so consumed with it, like almost obsessive about it. And I, and so I just, that, that's my advice is just get obsessed with the idea and the creativity. Um, and then you can get the words down when you can get the words down. <laughs> Keep visiting with it, right? Keep the idea. Yeah, and exactly. Stating and growing. Well, it's been a, a great pleasure to talk with you about the whispers. Thank you for taking. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks. Thanks to all of you for loving books and taking the time to listen. And a huge thanks to our Patreon supporters who help make this show possible. Thank you to Travis Barrett, who does our music and sound editing and has an album's worth of typewriter music on Spotify. The playlist is called Just My Type. He also has other music on Spotify that you can find by searching out his name. You can access our archive of shows 25 years worth at writersonwriting.com. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at penonfire at earthlink.net. My website is penonfire.com. Marie Stone is at mariestone at gmail.com and Travis Barrett is at travisbarrettcreative at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And in the meantime, remember to stay in the chair. Mm-hmm.